Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. There were heated scenes in the Dáil today as the coalition turf wars continued, with Taoiseach Micheál Martin saying that the cutting of peat by people on their own bogs is not a practice that the government intends to ban. Smoky coal is the target here, not turf. Thornish the Leo Varadkar begins a trade and investment mission to California. Retrofitting warning from an Oireachtas committee and later job life satisfaction highest among those who work remotely. As always, get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Russian Foreign Minister has said the West is to blame for the current situation in Ukraine and has accused NATO of engaging in a proxy war. Sergei Lavrov met with the UN Secretary General in Moscow today before Antonio Guterres makes his way to Kyiv. It comes as explosions on the border with Moldova have sparked concerns that the conflict may be spreading. We urgently need humanitarian corridors that are truly safe and effective and uh, uh, that are respected by all to evacuate civilians and deliver much needed assistance. In other news now, we're crossing stateside as the Thornish Lee of Radcar started an IDA Ireland and Enterprise Ireland trade and investment mission in California. Joining us now from Silicon Valley is our economics correspondent, Paul Colgan. You're over there with the Thornish, uh, Paul, in sunnier climes. Uh, this is a big tech trade mission. Tell us what it's all about, what it's hoping to achieve. Well, this is the first big mission of its kind since COVID. It's certainly its first of its kind since Ireland agreed to sign up to a global deal on corporation tax, a rate of 15% last year. And really, it's a, a love-bombing attempt by official Ireland to check in with those big US tech giants that we are reliant on for so much of our corporation tax receipts, but also high-grade jobs, jobs that pay well and contribute a lot of income tax. So the Tonish is heading up the mission, which includes IDA Ireland and Enterprise Ireland. And he was in Seattle yesterday where he met with senior executives from Microsoft and Amazon. He's due to meet the Intel boss, Pat Gelsinger, in, in San Francisco in a short period of time. He will meet the, the man who heads up Intel, the company that is employing over 5,000 people in LeakSlip and potentially will grow that to over 6,500 over the coming years. But really, tomorrow is the centrepiece of this visit. The Taunister will be at the, the Sunnyvale campus of Google, the sprawling Sunnyvale campus, where he will present a special recognition award to the Google chief executive. Only the second time the Irish state has done that. Google obviously employs 8,000 people in Dublin, and it's expected that there will be a, a further sign of Google's commitment to Ireland when the Taunister makes that visit. Google's parent company, Alphabet, uh, published its quarter one results a short time ago. They weren't what they were hoping for in terms of earnings estimates. Shares in Alphabet are down significantly this evening. There's a bit of a bloodbath 
on the stock markets. Overall concerns about a global slowdown that won't have been helped obviously by the news this evening that Russia is potentially going to cut off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria imminently. So this is being reflected in, in share prices right around the world and in tech stocks. So there might be a few grumpy heads at Google headquarters tomorrow. Okay, now obviously this is big news globally, especially there in Silicon Valley, I imagine, and that's the Musk, Elon Musk takeover of Twitter. What's the reaction been? Well, obviously, there's great uncertainty within the tech sector as to what the world's richest man will do when he finally gets his hands on Twitter. He's putting together a $44 billion deal to do that. There's obviously concerns about his libertarian attitude to free speech. Will he invite back Donald Trump? Will he take a looser view of what is permissible on Twitter? But there was a shot across the bows from the European Union this evening. It warned Mr Musk that he has to adhere to its new regulation regime that he has to abide by the rules when it comes to harmful and illegal content. And of course, Ireland and Dublin is host to Twitter's European headquarters. So yet again, Ireland may find itself in the regulatory crosshairs if there is a coming together of the European Commission and Elon Musk. Obviously, the Commission has taken a lot of these US tech companies to task over the last few years. And that could be the case again when the multi-billionaire gets his hands on Twitter. He's going to have to raise some money to do that. He will have to liquidate some of his shares in Tesla, it seems. He doesn't have the money to hand. He doesn't have the cash to hand. So big change here. Okay, Paul Colgan in California. Thanks for joining us tonight. Now here at home today, the row over proposed restrictions around the sale of turf dominated business in the Dáil with Sinn Féin calling the proposal half-baked this evening. The Dáil debated a Sinn Féin motion calling for a halt to the ban as it says now is not the right time. We can now take a look at some of the, those heated exchanges. Smoky coal is the target here, not turf. Uh, and I think there's a, resp- <laughs> there's a responsibility... There is a responsibility on all sides of the house, including Deputy MacDonald, uh, to get off the fence now in terms of what's necessary in terms of the health of people as well. We need clarity now. Don't talk in riddles, Taoiseach. Just tell us that this madcap, half-baked, unfair notion advanced by Eamon Ryan is now officially Ditched. Because they created this mess. The, the, the honest said it was like taking wine off the, the people in France, uh, the turf, a kind of a nice uh, catchphrase. I, I thought the aromatic flavour of wine was more berry like, and um, whiskey was more peat, you know. See, we'll be laughing when we'll be catching. I think you all need to relax a bit. When you'll oh, be yeah. You're drinking too much green tea. Well, for more on this, I'm joined in studio by Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, Pippa Hackett, community worker and journalist Kieran Malouli, independent TD Michael Healy-Ray and journalist John Gibbons. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, to come to you first, Minister Hackett, um, the Green Party has an awful lot ex- of explaining to do around the issue. They've had to do an awful lot of explaining. We saw Eamon Ryan in front of TDs today where we heard about robust and heated exchanges on the matter. Would you agree that it's been mishandled? Um, Look, I think what's clear to see is that it's a very emotive issue. Um, It's a very sensitive issue. Um, But at the heart of this, it's about public health. It's about people's lives and their well-being. And that's where this has come from. Um, We've had successive governments and successive environment ministers unable to bring this legislation through um, because of some of these sensitive issues that are being raised. But ultimately, every year in this country, 
you know, 1,300 people die a year from, from poor air quality. And this is really what the focus should be on about people's health. But if you knew it was as sensitive as it clearly is, maybe some of the issues around individual use, cutting your own uh, turf on your own land, exchange of turf with neighbours, that should have all been clarified and said from the get-go, you know, that's OK. Well, I suppose we're in a process of consultation. There was a public consultation on, on this regulations this time last year. There's a, a second consultation now on the drafted regulations. And again, it's important to say that they're in draft form. So this consultation is ongoing, um, you know, not only with the public up until the 3rd of May. So anyone listening to tonight can feed into that. You know, we've been engaging, um, we've engaged with Irish Rural Link and indeed Minister Ryan has engaged with the, with the government backbenchers today. So you're saying no surprise really to any of this? Well, I'm saying it, it shouldn't have been a surprise because there, there, there certainly was um, consultation last year and this has been a long, long time in, in the making. Well, the public were consulted last year for an extensive phase to, to design the regulations. Now we're having a consultation on the regulations as, as they are proposed. And, and they would be and those communities that would be individually well, affected by this. Well, any, it was open to anyone to, to engage with the consultation but I think the important thing is that we, we focus on, on the health piece. There, they are still draft um, the regulations and within that there is a lot a scope for people to to cut on their own bogs to to you know to sell and and gift to, to local in local communities and ultimately we're focused here on the the air quality in urban settings okay air quality in urban yes. settings is the focus michael healy ray and essentially this is an air quality issue a public health issue yes first of all to take apart your argument minister you do realize that advocacy groups and voluntary groups working for older people and that are interested in protecting older people have come out and said that this proposal is completely wrong because it will put older people, disabled people, vulnerable people, people on poorer incomes in danger because it will remove their source of heat and the heat is the comfort that people need in their homes. That's the first point. The second point, two times in your presentation you use the word draft. Because the Greens are doing a complete, you're doing so many U-turns, you don't know whether you're in a tailspin or you don't know your heads from your elbows at this stage. Because you've said there a number of times that, well, this was a draft, it's a consultation. It's that is not, no, no, no. That is not what Minister Ryan said. He came out he and made accepted, it. He's accepted that the, the, the language in the that parliamentary was question was, was inaccurate right, and that he okay. has accepted that. And I think that's right. fair I to say. I didn't interrupt you and I'm just going to make Sorry. the point. What he said very clearly, we will impose a ban. Now, he forgot to consult with the other two people. He's, he's like, he might think you're running this country, but you're actually not. He make up a part of the government, but like, if he saw after your own departments, and if he minded your own business, and if he didn't come along with half-baked ideas, he have more, done more damage for environmental issues because of making a mess of situations like this. Oh, and that is what I you've done. I want to ask Pippa Hackett about that. So you're saying that you're, you're alleging that there was no consultation and the other no, coalition leaders didn't know about that. Is, that. is that the case? Well, no, there has been consultation for a number of years now. And as I said, this has been an issue that we have tried and to bring in. And the Taoiseach and this, were in the loop on success. this. Absolutely. Um, and and, and there are, excuse me, there are other groups who are advocating because of the air quality. The Irish Heart Foundation, for example, are advocating strongly about these issues. Now, I do want to make the point, and, and you, you do raise a valid point, and I accept the point about people absolutely being, you know, challenged by this issue. And we're absolutely cognizant of that in government, that people will be, be facing 
pricing difficulty. So that's why the proposals at the, as they stand at the moment are, are allowing for, you know, turbary rights are unaffected. That's very important. Um, people can, in, 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 you know, at the moment in, in rural areas and in small villages will be unaffected by this. All right. So the vast proportion of people will be unaffected. Again, it's focused on the urban setting and the, the, you know, the difficulty. I mean, you look at even towns in your own constituency, um, you know, you, you've, you've a town like Tralee, you know, for 30 odd days of the year has air quality that's below the the, um, the the World Health Organization, you know, so people are going out into their towns and it, they're inhaling pollution. They'll be cold if you'll have your way. No, well, they won't. They won't. Well, I can tell you they will. If they're, if they're, if they're, if they're, if they okay. require fuel allowance, bring... they will be supported, and the government has supported that All right, I want to bring John Gibbons extent. in on this. Um, John, let's talk about the the environmental impact because what we're hearing from people like Michael Healy Ray and others um, is that this can wait. We heard it in the Sinn Fein motion tonight. We don't need to do it right now. Is there an urgency about doing this and making these changes now? I think there absolutely is. Uh, there's never a good time to implement changes that are politically unpopular, at least in, in some quarters. Although it does fascinate me, and, and this isn't just specifically to Michael, but watching some of the politicians in Dáil Éireann this evening, we seem to have politicians happy to go on the stump, demanding lower air quality for their constituents. This is really extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Demanding that their constituents continue to experience ill health. Then they quote things like tradition and say, well, it's always been like this. Right. When my grandfather died 50 years ago, the average life expectancy in Ireland was 68. Now it's 88 because traditionally we did all kinds of things like we smoked, like we burned all kinds of solid fuels. We moved on from those traditions and as a result, our life expectancy in my lifetime has increased by 20 years. These are the kind of things that we're not hearing. I heard not a single politician certainly from the opposition, get up today and speak up for public health. Now, Michael also referred to advocacy groups. Now, the Asthma Society are one of the advocacy groups who represent people from all age strands. And what they said today is that children, for example, have faster breathing rates, their lungs are still developing, and PM 2.5s, these are these fine-grained particulates that you get from burning solid fuels, smoky fuels, particularly turf, wet, uh, turf, uh, wet uh, wood mm. and smoky coal. What about, what about the idea around this, and it's among the proposals, that actually in smaller communities with populations of less than 500, that it's OK then to burn peat because it's not going to have that environmental impact? What about that idea? I guess this is the sort of... Uh dilution as the answer to pollution. Now, I would struggle with that. I can think, for example, I'm often down the country in rural Kilkenny. Now, down there, between half four and six o'clock in the evening, you can't go out for a walk because they're still burning Mostly in Kilkenny, by the way, in rural Kilkenny, it's uh, smoky coal. And between about half four and six o'clock on a winter's evening, it is unsafe okay. to go out there. Uh, Kira Malouli, I mean, you're in a Midlands community. You'll be very familiar with the tradition of, um, of, of turf cutting. Um, what, what do you make of this and this argument that it is about public health and it's something that has to be done because smoky coal is, is being banned and that ban was introduced <coughs> in 1990, but then you have all this other legislation, environment ministers um, not doing anything about it in the past and it's all come to bear now. I think what I hear speaking to people over the last couple of weeks, clear is very straightforward. The health argument, there is none. They're clear. It's not, it's not good. It's turf is, is not good. Burning of turf is not good. But the problem is, in, in rural Ireland, particularly in the Midlands, in counties like Offaly and Leash, Longford, Westmead, they thought this argument was, was being dealt with. 
Three years ago, we had a court case. We were before the courts. We were told you couldn't do this. The larger components, the big players were being told at that stage, the end is nigh. But then the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden, the smaller people are being told. But are there, there's still commercial turf cutting take, taking but place. Been, they've been told they will need planning permission for anything than 30 hectares, over 30 hectares. And they were told that three years ago. And there's a process at play there. But what's happened in the last couple of weeks is the smaller person. It is, as, as Michael Healy Ray has referred to, the older person, perhaps the widow or the widower, who are relying on a friend, not even a relation or a cousin or their granny, it's not to be their granny, a, co- a cousin who but will provide them with a bag of turf over the year. Won't they now get that? The but won't they still be allowed? The but won't they still be allowed? That's what Eamon Ryan is saying. But, but, that would be an, okay. That won't be a problem. I'll That's what the Taoiseach was saying. I'll give you an example tonight. My uncle lived in, in a place called Killishie in County Lafford and he cut turf and he sold it. And uh, it's about eight kilometres from Longford Town. Uh, Kilishi has less than 400 people living at Longford Town is 10,000. Uh, surprise, surprise, he used, to, he used to sell or give a bag of turf to a few people in Longford Town. I asked the question tonight, can he do that next year? Could he do that next year under, the, under what we've heard in the last couple of days? Can he? Well, Longford, if it is a town of 10,000 people, will be subject to the smoky coal ban as, as, as that size of a town and will have been for a number of years now. So any town over 10,000 people is already subject to the smoky coal ban. So Tullamore, um, you know, uh, Killarney, Trillie, those sorts of towns already have that in place. So, so that's a no. In a way, well, yes, that is a no for but that. The difficulty is, and it's very well referred to tradition and, and, to, and to DNA, this is a particular person, say in Longford Town, a lady of a certain age, who has got this turf all her life from this source mm-hmm. at this price. Now, whether you like it or not, if you take that away, you are talking fuel poverty in her situation. She cannot heat the home without that. And we haven't, we haven't thought about her. We've thought about the big people over the last what three about, years, but we haven't thought about her. But what about the argument that there are alternatives? There are cleaner, solid fuel <coughs> alternatives. That's a very good point, but you see, removing current energy supplies without heavy alternatives in place is utter madness. But, I mean, can alternatives yeah. easily be, be well, used see, in place w- in those w- homes? You, like, I, I was, I was in South Kerry last night, and it was the main topic of conversation everywhere we went. And the people that were with me on the road last night, what we were all saying was that in time, this would have changed anyway. Because the children, the grandchildren of the future, they're not going to be caught in timber, maybe are going to the bog in the same way that our generation would be would would have been, but that's not the point. The point is the the Greens are really making a mess of this. And just one point I want to make, and this is to your department, Minister. Uh, since 1949, we haven't had as low a rate of tree planting. And in the words of Jason Fleming, who's the national chair of the IFA's forestry committee, the whole industry is in a state of complete and absolute. Other so you're talking about yes. An, yes. A, another no, issue, and no, that's no, around no, forestry no, no, there. But my point is, if the Greens did what they should be doing in government, like in your department, if you were interested in planting trees and allowing should permits, yes, would you should make a very bad fish of it? Because how many permits have you granted, whether it's for making forestry roads, for thinning, for thinning? No, but it has everything to do with the Greens in government. You're more interested in stopping people of burning turf than you are in planting would you, trees. Would you accept that, I thought that planting trees would accept, was good for I the don't environment. Accept the point would you about accept that criticism around issues like forestry? We have a big hold-up in licensing. No, no, there isn't a hold-up in the licensing. We've made a huge well, inroads not. in the last you know, 12 to 18 months and absolutely huge inroads into that. But I want to get back to the, the point that Michael... It's there. in crisis no, 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 in the words no, no, of the it, national it chairman. It isn't in crisis. There's plenty of supply into the sawmill 
sector 18 months ago that was nearly ground to a halt so there's been there there's a lot more work to be done but that, that has improved dramatically I just want to get back to the point Michael said about time oh we'll just wait enough time and eventually you know the the turf will be gone and nobody will be burning it people with chronic respiratory diseases do not have time we are, you know, we have to get back to the point that thousand, you know, over a thousand people a year are dying because of, of solid fuel burning in the most. You know, that is one of the most um, dangerous pollutants in our in our air. And people like that do not have to bring John Dippins in here. Keep them warm. There are alternatives. You can, there are, if you're if you're on sod turf, you could burn briquettes. talk about that. I just want to ask drywood. That's more craziness. It's okay to burn briquettes, which are made from peat, but you're not supposed to burn turf. And if you've told them properly dried out, argument is, and I want to, sorry, could I stop you there? Could I stop you there, John Gibbons? I'd like to bring you here in on this, and that's about the efficiency of other fuels and other things being better. This generational thing that we're hearing about as well, and it's something apparently that Heather Humphreys brought up at cabinet that if you leave well alone, there's no one getting welts in their hands from picking, you know, at turf. That that it isn't being done on a mass scale, and if you leave it alone, it's something that you know it's a generational thing, and and younger people will not be doing this. Sure. The problem is, and, and this was uh, seen by the Environmental Protection Agency last year, they were involved in investigations into 48 illegal peat cutting operations. This is not one man and his donkey operations. These are excavators with, with uh, basically going onto the bogs and doing heavy duty peat extraction for commercial purposes. This is not, as I said, that John Hind picture that we have of people out that's cutting. That's after the High Court ruling. That's right. These, but these are continuing to operate illegally. And this has continued. And th- these operations, by the way, were happening in special areas of conservation. <coughs> these are on peat bogs that are not supposed to be cut. Isn't so this it, is widespread. Is this the case, Caramelilli? It, it, it's true, actually. And on many occasions I was brought to an area where the Gardaí were present and we had situation standoffs. And, and that's a fact. The problem is, though, is, is, as is going back to, at that point, people thought the matter was being dealt with. We, we knew there was legislation changes coming. And I think people thought there would be a process whereby they would have an opportunity to prepare. A new boiler in the house, retrofitting. I think these things haven't happened in rural Ireland, Claire. Retrofitting is at snail's pace. And we will get on to that, I, I put, actually. I put, when I was building my house... In I the put, next part of the programme. When I was building my house, I put, a, I put, a, put in a heat pump. Uh, I got a grant of €7,000. I can tell you, there's nobody been offering any, any home order in, in my county uh, that sort of money for, for yeah. a retrofit the house or anything like it. Just, just back onto, onto the subject of, of what's happening and, and uh, what we're hearing about the, the turf cutting specifically. Is there, is there a problem with it, with it happening illegally? And when you look at those bogs, and in particular raised bogs, isn't there scope there? Isn't there opportunity for place in the Midlands? Like it could be the envy of many other countries for bog tourism, for for other activities in the area that would be far better for the environment. The way it was dealt with, Claire, from start to finish was a shambles. It was a shambles. There was disagreement over even the areas involved in terms of the mapping out process. Many of the areas within the SECs have been taken out of the SECs. You can now cut off from them. This has happened yes. in, in my part of the world. So it was a shambles in the same respect in which many of the policies within just transition have also been a shambles. Whose fault is that? And this is the, it's the fault of the, of the government in, in, at the end of the day. Yes. Because if I could put it this way, when, when people in the Midlands say we're being targeted again, we're being targeted again, they look at Germany tonight and they see German uh, coal power stations being just transitioned to closure in 2034. Mm-hmm. And say, why do we close two okay, power stations Okay, let's talk about this. No, they, know, just they know what decarbonisation is about, but they're saying, are we, are we being picked on compared to our European, our European relations? Like there's and certainly, there is certainly a sense of that when you hear the mood among backbenchers that they may feel they're being picked on, the, the pressure is on from their constituents. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. On this matter. I think the issue is that, unfortunately, getting back to successive governments sat on their hands on this for too long. And now, you know, at this time, we have programme for government commitments to clean our air, to decarbonise our economies. And, and we're crushed up against the time because we have had so many decades of inaction. And, you know, we keep hearing it all the time. We have to act now. You know, that is getting old. We should have been acting as Kieran said, we should, this should have been in place 25 years ago and the warnings were there. We are going to have to decarbonise our economy. We're going to have to move away from, from fossil fuels. And we did nothing about it. And just one point on that. You're mentioning the programme program for government. In the programme for government, it is clearly stated that you're going to plant 8,000 hectares. And I certainly hectares. hope I do. You I planted, hope I you do. planted okay. 360 acres of farmers land last year. I'll, ha- I'll have to stop you there. My panel will be staying with me, though, after the break. Um, there's significant concern over the quality of retrofit. We were just talking about it there. Stay with us. Welcome back. The Joint Committee on Environment and Climate Action has heard that there's a danger that we end up retrofitting the retrofit in 10 years' time due to poor standards. The committee is assessing the impact of the new national retrofitting plan for homeowners. Well, joining me via Skype is Pat Barry, CEO of the Irish Green Building Council. And Pat, you're very welcome along to the programme. You were speaking um, to that uh, committee today and what we heard from it was that some homes that have been retrofitted apparently to an A2 standard are more like at a a C rating, which is far less efficient. What's happening? Well, uh, this area is quite complex and, you know, we can't say that um, it's necessarily down to uh, poor construction because when you're dealing with homes, you're you're looking not only at the, uh, first of all, the measures that are, that were designed to be implemented. So you're looking at how those measures were implemented, but you're also looking at how um, the homeowners actually operate the home. So if you take a a home that's coming, say, from a 
a D or an E rating, that person who's living in that home is used to quite cold temperatures. Um, so in some cases, they won't even be able to heat their home to get it up to a comfortable standard. So when they do get an energy renovation um, up to you know a B or an A rating, um, well, they find that they actually can heat their home and they actually quite like it. So they might heat their home to 23 degrees. So it's actually more complex than just saying that the renovation isn't working. Um, there, but there can be fact, elements of that. In fact, potentially overheating their homes, which is still using an awful lot of energy being one of the problems. Are there any issues though with the materials being used and with the expertise in the area to actually do these big fit outs, these big retrofits? Well, what's really important is that homeowners are getting, always getting independent advice because every home is different. They're from different eras. We've homes from the 1950s. We've homes that are um, pre-1945 that are traditionally built and they all need different solutions. So if you're living in a, in a solid a brick wall home that needs a different approach to um, insulation than say a cavity wall construction so you're looking at ensuring that there's vapor permeability and that you're not trapping moisture in those solid walls and what we need to is skill up um, our construction um, workers we need to skill up the renovation advisors to give the right advice for the particular home they're advising on like a one-stop shot, a one-stop, um, or rather, you know, there's a specific approach for different types of homes. Because what we're hearing about is that it's actually quite a simple process. It will be very streamlined. A one-stop shop, you kind of mentioned it there, is what the government is talking about, that essentially you can log in, you can go online, you can access everything you need, all the information you need, and then someone will come out and do the job. Um, do you think, as it stands, the plan that's in place will work or, or, or it needs more to be done to make it uh, fit for purpose? Well, that's exactly what is needed. Um, um, the big challenge that homeowners have at the moment is they simply don't know where to start. They don't know, you know what the first thing they should do is. Uh, what is important with one-stop shops that there is always a completely independent advisor so that the, the one-stop shop isn't purely connected to a particular contractor or a particular um, approach. So it is always, the, 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 the homeowner needs to be protected from the very start of the journey right to the okay. end and the delivery of the um, the renovation, they must be protected right through to the begin to, to the end, and any issues are dealt with straight away. Right. And that that's how a one-stop shop needs to function. Okay, Pat Barry of the Irish Green Building Council, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Well, still here in studio, Minister of State for Land Use and Biodiversity, Pippa Hackett, community worker and journalist, Kieran Mullooly, independent TD, Michael Healy-Ray and journalist, John Gibbons, are still with me. Listening to what Pat had to say there now, and he's, he's obviously brought his expertise to an Iraq, this committee that's figuring out how this retrofitting scheme will, will, will work for people. Um, there needs to be an upskill of workers, uh, proper renovation advisors, and that the one-stop shop really needs to protect the homeowner. There's still a bit of work to be done in this area, isn't there? Um, 
Yeah, I would accept that there, that there is. And I, I think it's important to say, of course, that the cheapest energy is the energy you don't use. And ultimately, that's what retrofitting is about, is to reduce your energy requirements and, and actually to make your home more livable and more comfortable. Now, I've had the opportunity to visit a number of uh, retrofitted homes in, in, in my own area, in Leach and Offaly, in Tullamore and Port Arlington. These are social homes that have been retrofitted by the respective local authorities. And just the, to, to hear the stories from the people in those, those homes about how their lives have absolutely been transformed to have it done. So I think the issue here is that, I mean, I think when it's done, people, you know, they love the home they live in. It's a totally new way. They have no, you know, stove. They're not cleaning out ashes. There's not, you know, it's a clean, clean, warm home. Yeah. But it's but about just, just overcoming about the that, issues just of about those concerns out. that were raised yeah, about that it may have to be considered that the retrofitting that has been done in some instances right now in this country will have to be retrofitted once again within a decade. Well, I mean, it depends again on the level of retrofit that a, that a, a homeowner gets. No, in and, this and, instance, I think the Oireachtas Committee heard that it's poor insulation materials, heat pumps underperforming due to bad installation and perhaps a lack of expertise. Well, in if that is indeed the case, and that's an issue that absolutely has to be addressed and we can't be retro, double retrofitting homes to the same standard, you know, um, I think what we see available now to homeowners is a variety of different retrofits um, and you can go for shallow ones and get 80% grants for those. For uh, many people would say this whole retrofitting scheme is a real positive, Michael Healy Ray. It's a good thing. Like we're talking <coughs> about all the issues that are facing people who are in fuel poverty and now we're seeing something that yes. you say you can get your attic retrofitted. Yes. You, there, there, there's money available to you to get the job done. If a person can avail of it, of course it is good and that's what we want to see people do is modern their homes. But again, putting the cart before the horse. If you think about it this way, uh, the minister comes along and says, OK, we don't want any uh, turf, we don't want you burning timber, we want you to retrofit your home. It'll cost 65,000. Now, I know, and the grant is 25,000. How many people do you know with 40,000 under their bed ready to throw into their home at, at, at the click of a finger? They can't do it. So you're t telling people, you must do this. You, you said there a minute ago, you said throw out the stove and get rid of the smoke. Well, I mean, if the stove is what's keep you warm now, mm -hmm. and if you can't afford to deep retrofit or even do any let's type say of... people yes. who um, are on fuel allowance, yes. they'll get a retrofit, they'll get that done for I, free in I, some instances. I'm delighted you said that. Because yes, you can, if you're willing to wait two and three years. And you might say, oh, that's not factual. Minister, you agree yourself. There is a two and three year waiting not list. Not for the shallow that is, retrofit no, no, of no, the but, 100%. Not for that particular type of shallow retrofit, but, which is literally your insulation in your yes, walls and your, your, your attic about insulation. Retrofitting okay. Because you're talking about trying out the system they have. You see, this is what, wrong with the, what is wrong with the Greens. You're totally right. disjointed in what you're saying because you, you don't can make we just, sense. Can we just, can we just get a sense? And I just want to bring John in here again on this um, because people will be interested to know, look, how can I bring my fuel bills down? Will this scheme work for me? We've heard some of the early concerns, maybe teething problems around this about, you know, needing to upskill uh, workers in the area. Uh, but essentially, people will say, is it going to cost me money and will I have to wait a long time to get it done? Well, I've certainly been down this road about 13 years ago. I upgraded what was an old cold house. It had a solid fuel in, in, one, in one place and, and, and so on. And that was a process that was very challenging to undertake. It was expensive. Now, 
in the intervening 13 years, I've, I think I've, I can't say I've gotten all my money back, but I've gotten most of it back. But most importantly, what I've got out of it is a comfortable home. So this is bringing a 150-year-old home up to a B2 rating, up to a comfortable rating. It's not perfect. And what about the upfront costs? The upfront costs were significant, but it was also part of a renovation. So that's the time, particularly a good time to do it. But, but the thing that I found, now this is 2009, the thing that I found at the time was a startling lack of knowledge on the part of, say, most of the build, building trade and so on. Uh, so you really do, at that time when, when you undertook that, you were kind of by yourself. But I do make the point that once you launch into this, it really, the payback continues in a much more comfortable, a healthier, more comfortable home every single day. And you can't, and Michael said, right, two, there's a two-year waiting list. Let's say he's right. Get on the list. Two years passes by very quickly. Let's stop using right. these things as a reason to do nothing. Uh, you pointed there, Kieran. What about the enthusiasm for the idea of, of retrofitting? We were talking about it briefly um, earlier. Given the energy crisis we're in, where you are in the Midlands, are people really keen to get on board with this idea? Yeah, I think there was interest. I think there was genuine interest in it. And in fact, you know, you, you mentioned the upskilling. We, we, were, we had a process. Board and Amona were involved in, in the National Construction Centre in Clumbalogo. with their myself. They built a house in the middle of the bog where they actually did the retrofitting. They trained up the staff, their existing staff. We thought this was really the way to go. We're going to provide jobs for former Board and Amona workers. But what happened? When the process went to the local authorities, it went out to tender. And many of the people who were trained in that very workshop weren't eligible uh, to work for a company, weren't working for a company who could actually to win the tendering process. So it, it wasn't structured properly. Mm. It wasn't when, when the, the, big, the big picture was not looked at. And that's happened so many times in the Midlands communities when <coughs> it comes to, to, to following decarbonisation and re-employment. The, the two have never met. Never met. It's never been structured properly. Um, just on the retrofit issue, will you be retrofitting your home, Michael Healy Ray? I, I have it done, yes, right. in the last 12 months. And was there a big wait? No, because I, I did it myself. But, um, like, it, again, it was a house that was 70 years old. So you could call and, someone in to get, and, the, get and the job done. Just in, uh, by I was agreeing with you, there were, uh, what you said, it was part of a bigger uh, renovation job because it needed to be done because the house was bad. It was 70 years old. Did it cost a lot of money? It did. It did. And that's why I know so much about it. Because uh, my point is... Uh, people are being treated as if, well, there's 25,000 there, it's no bother, apply for it and get it. You, you must have the money to do the rest of the work, otherwise you can't get the grant. Uh, I just want to briefly go to housing plans that have been brought before Cabinet by uh, Minister Dara O'Brien. 89 buildings identified as nearly ready to be used in the coming weeks, which um, the Minister has said can house 5,000 people. So it's not, it's buildings, it, we're talking hospitals, we're talking schools that have been identified by local authorities as being suitable to house refugees. Surely this is, this is a big challenge now to turn these around. Uh, absolutely massive challenge we've taken in 25,000 people. We have never done anything like that ever in the history of this stage, taking in that number of people in this short a length of time. So it is a massive challenge. Um, I think be re realistically well, be done well, when listen, we talk we've about committed, the We've committed to, to taking in as many people as we can. We're, 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 we've signed up to the temporary protection, or sorry, um, protection directive, you know, which is a EU directive basically saying open your open your doors and, and we welcomed our, our Ukrainian um, friends. Okay. Um, it is a challenge and we've been very clear and honest about the challenge of of, of housing. Briefly, I want to ask, people. is anyone here in the panel, are you planning on taking in um, a family, you know, 
fleeing war situations. It's been a call, a shout out from government to, to do what you can. I clear, I'm working hard with a group that has been taking them in already at locations in Roscommon in terms of, in terms of we've brought a group of over 70 people to, to a rural area. But there are problems. There are problems emerging even there with regard to rural transport. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm, one would, one would worry a bit about some of the stuff we heard today about the, the, the old hospitals and the old uh, service. But are there services on there? Is there a bus service? Is there a way of getting the people to school? Will there be a yeah. follow-up in terms and, and of... And Michael, you are by, by far the biggest landlord in the Dáil. You have some 16 properties in Kerry. Um, are, you, are you thinking about offering any of them up to, Just to families? Just to give you a sensible answer to that, every place that I have is occupied. And where am I supposed to put people if the places are occupied already? But the point I want to make to no, the that's minister okay. and, to, and to the government, and it's a very important point, there's an onus of responsibility on us that every person that we bring in, that we uh, make sure mm. that we can take care of them properly. And this, this uh, notion that we can accept any amount, of course, in an, in, an, in an ideal world, we would want to welcome as many as we possibly could. But, but is this, but, go- is yeah, this no, a, no, a no, good... Can I just make the point? Yeah, but okay. when it comes to... Are you talking about ca- caps and the numbers? No, no, no but when it comes to healthcare and when it comes to schooling and the transport, because, you see, you can put people living in a location, but if there's no transport, if there's not access to the local schools, then that accommodation mightn't be practicable for those people. And you, John. the people you bring in, sorry, you just want to treat them properly and make sure they get you in I on think, that. I think it's re- really important. Michael used the phrase in an ideal world. We are absolutely not in an ideal world. We are in an emergency. And in an emergency situation, there are people running for their lives. Uh, we have to open our doors. That means reconverting old government buildings. Mm. It means repurposing. It means not doing perfection. It means doing what we have to do. This is an emergency situation and we cannot wait for perfection. We have to just get on with this. All right, we'll leave it there. Lots more after this break, including how to achieve the perfect work-life balance. Stay with us. Welcome back. A new CSO personal and work-life balance survey has found that employees who worked remotely either during the pandemic or pre-COVID-19 had higher job and life satisfaction ratings when compared to those who had not worked remotely. My panel is still here with me and joining us via Skype is Caroline Reedy from the HR Suite. Um, Caroline, uh, welcome reading for many. I mean, it was a very high percentage of people saying they're much happier uh, working from home. Are we seeing a new work landscape emerge now that we're not going to go back to what we had pre-pandemic? Without doubt, Claire, I think the research is echoing the sentiment on the ground where people are already requesting the right to continue a blended approach. For most, they're looking for a three and two rather than complete remote working. And I think the survey, a very high percentage, over 90% of the respondents are saying they're much happier in their job and their work-life balance if they've got that hybrid model that's becoming the norm in many businesses today. Do you think employers are particularly happy about it or are they being forced to adapt because it's a very competitive market out there now? Without doubt, I think the attraction and retention of staff, this is a key um, requirement now that people are demanding uh, or else they'll go somewhere else that they can get it if their job is as suitable for remote working. 
But I think the employers are seeing the benefits as well, where they can get a wider pool of talent, where they've got more flexibility from their staff. And in return, they've got more flexibility in terms of business requirements as well. So I think this is a win-win for everybody. Mm. But we need to probably put some better policies and better training in place now for managers and employees to really maximise the potential fully so we even get a better work-life balance and mm. better practices and I procedures to maximise. Yeah, and briefly on those practices and procedures, there's a work-life balance bill um, that, you know, Leo Varadkar launched um, uh, earlier, or was it, it might have been late last year, but it has raised concerns that employees don't get much of a look in here. There aren't huge rights for employees to, to say, yes, no, I, I demand to work from home or that's what I want to do. The employer essentially can say, we need you in the office. So the new code of practice on the right to request remote working is at the final draft stages. And there's very few, there's only 13 or 14 key reasons in the draft bill that an employer can refuse somebody the right to request remote working. Things like, for example, they don't have appropriate broadband or the job is not suitable for remote working. So I think in advance of that bill ever coming, people are very much proactively trying to put in place an application process to try and facilitate remote working where they can. But this bill and code of practice is going to provide a legislative basis for employees to request the right to request remote working. Okay, thanks Caroline for that. Um, briefly to my panel on this and Pippa, you work remotely yourself, I understand, from at times um, from, from, from a hub. Broadband is, a, is a, still a major issue there though, isn't it? And it's one of the reasons that actually your boss can say, no, I need you in the office. Well, I suppose, yes, but I mean, I think where the, the, where the community hubs have been set up and supported by the government to be set up, the broadband is usually excellent in those places. I think the issue with broadband would be more so in, in people's individual homes. And I, I think that, um, I think certainly COVID has opened our eyes to working. I think if, we, if that survey had been conducted, you know, two and a half years ago, it wouldn't have had the, the percentages that have come forward in it. And I think, I think it is positive. I think it is, obviously, it depends on your job and it's not for everyone if you're a construction worker or a shop how, assistant. You how know. is it working out in areas outside major urban areas you know where, where, where you still will have like a sizable commute now if you were to go into yeah. uh, if you were to go to uh, you know Dublin for example or elsewhere for your I, job. I think pretty good for the first for, for the most part I'm, I'm a convert for starters two years ago I was driving something like 30,000 miles a year so I'm delighted to say last year about 5,000 miles so I certainly like it. Living but, the dream here. Yeah, but there is a problem there are, there are a couple of problems the broadband is a big issue plus the, these conditions I looked at some of them today another one that's in there in terms of an employer if you're on your six months probation you you can't even apply to work remotely, which seems a bit tough as well on people starting out in life. If you're doing your job, you should have the benefit of, of being able to work remotely as well. Working from home might be okay in certain circumstances, but the whole idea of the hub structure, for, for instance, in Sneem, we have a great community hub, which is brilliant. I was there recently and they do great work and it's a great place for people to live in a place like Khmer, the most beautiful place in the world. We have the Sean Jones Khmer Digital Co-working Hub, which again is a great place for people to work. And for small okay. business, it's a brilliant opportunity and they have the but structure of leaving a house and going to What's work. What's the but? No, there's no but. Oh, great. It's, it's a all case good. Of, it's a I case thought there was a but. No, it's all good. It's okay. very good. Uh, John, from your point, I suppose anything that stops people commuting is much is a good thing. Of course it is, yeah. And uh, 
one of the hats that I wear is I'm also an employer. So I've seen this from very much from both sides. Obviously, uh, journalism-wise, uh, I think it's always been a remote, or at least to, for, to, to, to many extents. But I'm also an employer. But for example, when you bring in a new employee, as we did recently, then that person needs mentors- mentorship. They need to be among colleagues. So we've kind of got a hybrid model at work, and it's working out very, very well. We have some uh, long-standing, trusted staff who work from home, and they're happy to do it. They will come in from time to time. But with new staff, with younger staff, they really do need to learn their, their trade. And that's why, as I said, for us, the hybrid model is working really well. Yeah, because there is a social aspect to the workplace as well that, that some people may have been missing out on too. Um, worth noting, uh, I do a mix of it myself. It's working out all right. That is it from us. My thanks uh, to the panel who joined us tonight. Kira Doherty will be here tomorrow night. But from all the late team, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.